This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we covered the case of a possible murder that was ruled a suicide. And a teenage love story gone terribly wrong. So join us as we take you on a dark and twisted ride through the Peach State. She was a beautiful blonde cheerleader and adored by everyone. I'm sure you've heard that phrase a million times. I know I have, especially when it comes to true crime. Those murders are absolutely important and need to be heard by the public. However, we sometimes overlook other cases that deserve justice just as much. Crimes against minorities, the disadvantaged, or those who struggle with addictions are often discounted. Almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction. Around 300 million people worldwide have an alcohol use disorder. About 130 Americans die each day from an opioid overdose. Approximately 964,000 Americans are addicted to methamphetamine. I could go on and on, but I'm giving you these statistics so you realize how common addictions are. Likely you know someone who has suffered or is suffering from something like this. Regardless of their struggles with addiction, if something nefarious happened to them, they would deserve justice. That should not be up for questioning. Well, today I'm going to tell you about a case ruled a suicide, but the family doesn't believe it's a suicide at all. They insist this is a murder that didn't get the investigation it deserved. So, I normally scour the internet when I'm researching a case, but this time around, the victim's sister Amanda actually graciously emailed me all of the information she had compiled over the years. I'm talking recordings, investigation reports, photos, you name it. She has put so much time, work, and energy into this case. Well, I mean, it's her brother. Right. Oh, yeah. She's very organized, too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I think that's awesome. Yeah, it really is. Donald Fickey, known as DJ, was born on November 14, 1988, in Oglethorpe, Georgia. His family described him as being funny, caring, and a prankster. He was the only boy of four, and he was especially close to his sister Amanda. He ended up falling in love with a girl named Brandy, and soon after, Brandy became pregnant and they got married. They also had two more children not long after. So, unfortunately, soon after they got married, they became entangled by drugs, and they did decide it would be in the children's best interest to relinquish custody to DJ's mom. At least they did that, you know. They they knew that, that, yeah, that that was best for their kids. DJ did try to quit several times, but Brandy continued to use, and that was difficult for him to stay clean, you know. One person's... What drugs were they? Um, I believe methamphetamine. There might have been more, but yeah. that's the main one, I believe. He did want to get his life back and his kids back, and he even started training to be a professional fighter. Uh, well, Brandy was continuing to use, and she developed a romantic relationship with a guy named Mark. Was this a... This is while they were still married. Was this a Mark guy, like their dealer or their... Yes, he was a drug dealer. Of course he was. Mm -hmm. So DJ and Brandy would often visit a trailer by someone we're just going to call 
old man in Flintstone, Georgia. I know. Just old man's house. Yep. No name, just old man. Well, anyway, DJ helped out old man since he was 14 years old. He helped him with his bedridden wife, you know, helped him with chores around the house and everything. And also, over the years, this home became a bit of a hangout for those using and selling drugs. So, one of the dealers that hung out there was named Mark. So, this is how Brandy met him. I hate a cheater. I don't care if he's a drug addict or not. Like, there's no excuse. Anyway, sorry. Well, DJ, of course, was not happy about this love triangle. He didn't like Mark. I mean, of course not. Of course not. He didn't want to give up on Brandy, though, because he loved her and he felt like he needed to protect her from all these people at Old Man's trailer. Well, in May of 2016, DJ and Brandy were riding in a car with Old Man's son and daughter. They were pulled over by the police, and DJ and Brandy got arrested for drug possession and went to jail. Well, after this arrest, DJ viewed this as a wake-up call and got sober, moved in with his mom. I believe he went into rehab for a little bit, but he also began finally seeing other women, was starting to realize his relationship might be toxic after all. That is until Brandy got out of jail. Brandy moved in with DJ's mom, so now they're both there. And since she has custody, the children are there as well. So he feels like they need to be a family again. And he's wanting to work everything out with her. So on the night of August 29th, 2016, a county official came to Kathy's house looking for Brandy. And they thought it must be an officer or something serving a warrant or something along those lines. So they were worried she was going to get taken back to jail. So to avoid this, they left Kathy's house and moved back onto Old Man's property. So the trailer was essentially a a drug den. Not really a pretty way to put it. Well. And with Mark there, Brandy got back together with him. Well, on September 14th, DJ called his sister, letting her know he had to go find a new place to live because now Brandy's back with Mark. And his mom, Kathy, had been having some major medical problems with her heart and was trying to keep her stress levels down as low as possible. So this is basically why DJ didn't, you know, move back in with his mom at this point. But on September 24th, DJ went out to eat with an old friend named Misty. And during their chat over dinner, he confided in Misty that he believed that Mark wanted to kill him. Why would he? Well, he went on to tell her about a recent run-in with Mark, where Mark jumped him while he was getting out of the shower and put a knife to his throat. So they're all living in this house together. So based on what I've looked up, so there's the main trailer, and it's it's a single wide. And Mark has a, um, I think it's, it's a camper or something on the property. Mm-hmm. So I think they t- they go to the tra- the main trailer to use the restroom to shower and all that gotcha. stuff. So it's kind of like a a mutual living space, but they sleep in like the, common areas are yeah, shared. Exactly. But they, okay. But they sleep in the camper on the property. Well, so he you know gets out of the shower, has a knife to his throat, and he'd gone after DJ with a baseball bat. And during the fight, DJ did defend himself with a golf club. And, yeah, knocked out one of Mark's teeth in the process. Oh, my God. And Misty, the friend he was eating with, took note of all the bruises she saw on DJ. He also told her during dinner that once in the past, Mark had given him a hot shot. 
So a hot shot is basically an intentional lethal dose of drugs. Like he purposefully gave him a major, major high dose. So so that could have killed him. Are they him. like, I'm not familiar with the usages of meth, but are they like shooting it up? Do you smoke it? Do you snort it? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if he's giving you a lethal a hot shot, you would uh, apparently, mm. clearly they must be shooting up. Yeah, I, do, I don't do know. Do not rot us in <laughs> about this. Keep your drug no. secrets to yourself. Yeah, I, do, I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of a, it's hard to put yourself in that situation, but it's one of those things where, I mean, Mark and DJ are enemies, but at the same time, you know, addiction's a big thing. Mark's the dealer, and it's just, it's kind of like an entanglement is the best way I can describe it. Like, it's just... A vicious cycle that I mean, it's it's easy to recount this and say, "Oh my gosh, why didn't you get out of there?" But yeah, the the hot shot didn't kill him, but it definitely could have. He was sick for several days after, and after this, he told Misty, "Quote: If anything ever happens to me, make sure the police investigate Brandy and Mark." I feel like I want to start telling people that oh my if gosh. I have an enemy or I just don't like somebody, it just right. Like I hate those. when I hear that line. I, I'm like, yeah. no, no, the writing's like on the wall. Yeah, I'm. It, oh goodness. Well, a few days later, DJ told his aunt about Mark attacking him multiple times, and he also believed that Mark was trying to kill him over the love triangle with Brandy. So at this point, he's told multiple people he thinks Mark is trying to kill him. And he was also worried that Mark would hurt Brandy. He still cared a lot about her sure. in this time. And he was also afraid that uh, Mark would figure out a way to take his children away from Kathy or, you know, who knows. He, he didn't, didn't know what Mark was yeah, capable he didn't know of. What he was capable I'm sure of. he was probably threatening with a lot of things. And, yeah, so he, he also told her about Mark holding a gun to Brandy's head once after she overheard her and DJ talking about moving off the property. Mark didn't like that idea and told Brandy that the only way she would ever leave would be in a body bag. I know. Oh, my face right now. Ugh, this guy. Toxic's Mark the only sucks. word. I know. Toxic's the only word that can come to my mind in this moment, but. Oh, so fast forward a month to October 3rd. Around 1230 that day, DJ began texting his friends because he wanted to leave Old Man's Place. And he's telling them Mark is trying to kill him and that they've got to come get him now. He was telling them that he was going to end up dead and that he and Mark were into it again because of Brandy. He was also texting his mom and she lived about 30 miles away in Alabama and it's kind of a rural area. So it'd be kind of a bit of a drive. And remember, she has these big heart problems going on. She had a surgery schedule. And all the kids. Yeah. Oh, so at 1.12 p.m. during the day, the Walker County 911 operators receive a frantic call stating that someone had shot themselves. How long was this after he started texting and everything? Um, 12.30 is when he started texting people. And, and this was at 1? was at 1.12, so approximately 42 minutes oh my after the texting. And That's I mean, not suspicious at all. Yeah, and I mean, even if his mom left right away, she wouldn't have made it in time anyway, because that's, I mean... That's, well, you couldn't get across Little Rock no, in that time. No, so there's just no way. So the caller was Mark, and he actually ended up having three conversations with the dispatcher. 
I listen to these myself and they're very chaotic. So you can hear Brandy crying and screaming in the background. And Mark was kind of acting like he couldn't hear or understand the dispatcher. Mark told them that DJ shot himself, but that he tried to stop him in some sort of a struggle. And the dispatcher told him to secure the gun and move it. You heard the dispatcher say this? Yes. So his hands are touching the gun. I don't know what the process is, but you hear... I would think don't touch anything get out of the house. I I mean, I feel like this... They're hearing it's a gunshot that someone did to themselves. However, this compromises everything. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. And he was saying it was in his lap during this time. I mean, if someone's dead and a gun's lying in their lap, it's not... First of all... It's not a threat to other people. You know what I mean? First of all, if I saw someone shoot themselves... And the dispatcher was like, go get the gun. I would I not. Would be, I don't want to be anywhere I, close I to this. Period. Especially, think about it from this perspective. If you're the guy's enemy, why would you want to be, I don't. It, it, no, no, this is all, it, no. That part alone, Just I'm just like, why are you asking him to do, I mean, and they ask him to do that. He doesn't, you know, they did say, take the gun, secure it. So, of course, he gets... Well, now his fingerprints are on it. So so he gets this gun, picks it up, puts it on a different table. (sighs) So that's, you know, the first thing that really, really, really frustrates me. And in this 911 call, so um, each time that Brandy starts talking more or verbalizing more, Mark hangs up. So he hangs up the phone with the 911 operator. So... He, the whole time, he's just kind of like, what, what, I can't, what, what's happening, you know, and just not being very, it's hard to explain, but he's just not cooperating very well, mm-hmm. and he's just kind of acting like he can't hear him or whatever, and then Brandy's screaming and screaming and crying, and then she starts talking, and he hangs up. So Are they, we able to play these recordings? I don't think we can play these on this podcast, but I can link up the site she has where you can go and listen to them for yourself. Yeah. So I want to listen to them. Yeah. And maybe some of our listeners might want to just kind of draw their own conclusions from, yeah, if it's possible. That's true. We'll have to get back to you on that. <laughs> yeah. We'll see if she can. I can let you listen real fast if you want to. Uh, yeah. Well, I have sure. time. <laughs> okay. So I just let Ashley listen to the I call. Can't. And, um, I cannot. <laughs> yeah. First of all. Yeah. Um, I don't want to talk bad about it's dispatcher. Frust- it's but very frustrating. I mean, he asks. This guy's the one counting the ballots right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's a small town. You're doing what you can. I get it. But it's just. Well, he's not asking. He's he, asked the same questions also several times. And he's not asking, like you said, any questions like, is there anybody else in the house? Are there children present? Yeah, what just, kind of, you know. How old is how this old guy? Is this guy? He yeah. asked him his age about four or five times. And I think he said, I don't know. He never asked for his address. Like, he never. Oh, he did, I think, in the very the very first thing. He said a guy shot himself. And then he's just like, is he breathing? And he answers. Yeah. I think so. I don't know. And Can then, he talk? It, well, no, he had a gun yeah, in his mouth. And then he asked the same, those questions oh, again. Oh, like, Lord. And then how much of a pause. I mean, did you ever see the Halle Berry movie where she's the 911 operator? Yes. We all need a Halle Berry to I answer know. us. I mean, I do. I know this guy's doing his, his best. Sure he is. But this is just, 
there's so there's three in total calls like that. And he'll and you hear Brandy talking more and he hangs up. It's almost like she's saying something. And he doesn't want anybody else to hear. Yeah, I don't want to speculate right. because I cannot understand what she's saying. But it's every time she starts talking, right. he hangs up. Right. And then the 911 calls him right back. Right, right. And it's it's like he's not setting a phone down or anything. He's just deliberately right. hanging up on them. It's just... Oh, brother. It's worth listening to. I will link up for sure where you can listen to it. But it's... It's very frustrating. So that's, oh, anyway. Okay, so finally, there's, you know, three calls in total. And the police do finally arrive on the scene. And Mark and Brandy were the only people there other than DJ. And they were standing outside. Mark asked them if he could clean up. And they said, sure, why not? Oh, Jesus. Destroy evidence. Just destroy it all. This whole thing, I mean... (sighs) I'm not wanting to just diss people because I know it's there's a lot more than meets the eye, but I'm just the, I I'm flabbergasted by this case. And also, no one was given a gunshot residue test, not even DJ. No, I would think that would be a standard procedure. <sighs> and they took pictures of the crime crime scene, and of course, the weapon was moved, so none of the pictures show DJ with a gun. Instead, they show it on the table. It was a 12-gauge shotgun that belonged to Mark. Um, It was sawed off, though, so it wasn't a long shotgun, you know, like they usually are. Well, DJ was shot on the left side of his face on his lower cheek. And, And you hear in the 911 call, Mark kept saying his mouth. Yeah. I mean, it could have, I guess if you didn't see it, it could have looked like the mouth, but it was the cheek in the left side. And... You'd assume he was left-handed, you know, based on where the shot was. But guess what? He was right-handed. So if you wanted to kill himself with a... He would have been backwards. It would have been... It would have been difficult, to say the oh, least. Lord. Not impossible, but it wouldn't wouldn't be your instinct on how you would do it, I would imagine. Well, so another strange thing is that in the crime scene photos, there's a container of bleach on the table. This... You cannot make this up. It's... It's wild. And to my knowledge, they were not questioned about the bleach on the table. I saw. So are they like, are they super clean? Maybe so it's the bleach. I will show you some pictures real fast. It. I'm not trying to judge here. I'm just stating what I saw. And I'll show you. It is a very messy, cluttered place. So them having the bleach on the table, it doesn't look like there was any cleaning involved. Like in terms of they're cleaning the kitchen or anything like that. I just showed Ashley the photos real fast, but it's it just kind of looks out of place. I'm, they could have been using the bleach for something else. It doesn't look it like doesn't they were appear using it to, to clean. clean. And you see the gun is, even though it's sawed off, it's quite large. And probably heavy. Yeah. I'm. This is, nothing's, you know, proven here. Because they say you could shoot yourself with it using your non-dominant hand. But that just seems weird to me. But again, that doesn't. Why would you though? I know. Why would any? I don't any know. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, that's the thing. I don't know. Why would you? That, that just mm. seems very implausible. But it's it's still not impossible. Oh goodness! So Brandy was understandably shaken and hysterical when the cops were there. So they were mainly talking to Mark. Brandy had just said. She hadn't been there long, and she knew nothing. 
That's what she said to them. The police asked Mark why DJ would want to kill himself. Mark told the police he was very unhappy. That his relationship was falling apart and he didn't really have a place to live, which, sure, those are true things, but, I mean, everyone has something going on in their lives Mm -hmm. that it's just... And also, if that happens to me, don't be asking my enemy about my right my state of mind. I just, I right. don't know. The whole thing. It's very suspect. The whole thing. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. so the very next day, Brandy's aunt called DJ's mom and said, Brandy wants to talk to the police. On the drive there, Brandy starts listening, listing off all the people who were at the trailer when the shot happened. So three of her friends were also there during the shot. But they took off immediately and didn't come back until the cops were leaving, trying to make it look like they just got there. They were on drugs. And yeah. They, they were like, so they ran. that they happened. Were like, yeah. They were like, nope, we're, we yeah. don't want any trouble. We're out of here. Well, that's probably makes sense. I mean, yeah, I mean, knew you were, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when Brandy was interviewed, she said the night before, she, Mark, and DJ all slept in Mark's camper on Old Man's property. That morning, DJ went to the trailer to use the bathroom and got in an argument over Brandy giving him Kool-Aid instead of tea. She wasn't super coherent during this interview. She was just started telling them random things that didn't even have anything to do with the fight or the shooting. She was under the influence of drugs during this, so it does make sense that she was, you know, she was all over the place. And, I mean, she's also experienced something really bad, but according to Brandy, before the shot, DJ asked to use Mark's phone. Well, it can be assumed that this is when he started reaching out Mm -hmm. to friends and family, and then she says at this time she was in the bathroom fixing her hair, and DJ was in the living room sitting on the love seat on Mark's phone. Well, she came out of the bathroom and saw Mark storm out of the bedroom and shoot DJ with a shotgun. And after this, her friends left. So she's saying she saw him Mm -hmm. shoot him. Yes. And so, yeah, she's here telling them this is a homicide and Uh she witnessed it. Uh Well, they're not buying it. Because she's messed up on drugs. Well, they didn't understand why wouldn't she have just told them that yesterday when they were there. Maybe she was scared. Exactly. And... So she was on drugs too, so they seemed to write her off. And and I, if Mark is this abusive and he sounds to, you know, mm-hmm. he sounds from this perspective very controlling, very abusive, of course she would be terrified of him, especially if he just shot somebody. And I mean, and also when they initially inter- questioned her when they showed up, Mark was right beside her the whole time. And he was the one doing most of the talking. Right. They didn't pull her aside. Or question well, them separately. like Yeah, I mean, they, they were standing outside in a big yard. They could have... Pulled her, yeah. That's, the whole thing. I mean, again, I do not know what the standard is. But he was, he was you know, basically speaking for both of them. Well, the police did interview Mark, and his story changed each time he told it. Couldn't get it straight. The first time the cops questioned him, he said he was in the other room when it happened. So the first time the cops questioned Mark, he said he was in the other room when it happened. However, to the initial dispatcher, he said there was a struggle and he was trying to get the gun from him. Right. And another time he said he overheard DJ and another guy arguing and then he heard a boom. And in the same breath, 
He said he came out of the room and was begging DJ not to shoot himself. He's all over the place. So, yeah, and he was telling him to just hand over the gun. So he lo- he changes the story within the same story. It's just, it's, and, he, and then he says he can't remember if he touched the gun or not during this time. The dude's just everywhere. Well, it doesn't matter now because you touched it when you took exactly. it away from him, so. And they gave him a polygraph, which he failed. Doesn't matter. And they chalked him up to, he was on drugs. Yeah. So, just, well, I give it to, I mean, if they're not going to take anything seriously that they say because they're on drugs, it's just, I don't know. Well, the police deemed this death by suicide along with a medical examiner. However, the medical examiner did not know all the facts about this case when she ruled it a suicide, which is important to know. When they gave her DJ's body, they told her it was death by suicide because it was witnessed by Mark. She was also told the gun was found by police in DJ's hands. We know that's not true either because it was sitting on the table when police got there. They do briefly end up questioning the other witnesses that were, you know, there too. And to sum it up, they all implied Mark might have done it, but they don't think he did it on purpose. They think it was maybe more of a fight or a struggle and the gun kind of went off in the midst of everything. And to me, that's totally plausible that there was some sort of fight or something, but that would still be foul play or manslaughter or, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. that's still mm-hmm. something. That's not nothing. Well, the shotgun was never forensically tested for fingerprints, blood splatter, or anything else. And it is still sitting in evidence at Walker County untested. Oh my gosh. They also never roped off the crime scene, and the love seat that he had died on was burned. DJ's sister Amanda has said, quote, We were not aware of the way it was handled until the case was closed and I got all of the records. We were lied to several times throughout the investigation, and any time we questioned anything, they told us they could not discuss it in an open investigation. End quote. So they were not having any of this, and they strongly believed there was foul play, so they hired their own private investigator named Eric Eccles. Well, they had several reasons to believe he did not die by suicide. Only a couple of days prior, DJ was talking to his son on the phone, and his son told him he wanted a choo-choo train for Christmas. And DJ told his mom, Kathy, not to get it for him because he wanted to be the one to get it for him for Christmas. She said he also seemed happy. The entire conversation intended to be in good spirits. And I bring that up because he's making plans for the future. Gotcha. Christmas is, you know, a couple months ahead. Uh He's planning on getting something for his son. He was also texting friends and family only an hour before his death, or less than an hour, really, asking for help to leave the trailer. I mean, to me, that's just huge. But their private investigator, Eric Eccles, said, quote, all cases should be treated as a homicide and investigated as a homicide and not investigated as a suicide. You let the evidence dictate what the case is going to be, and everything that they did was just wrong in this case. I like that. Let the let the evidence dictate the case. Yeah. In this case, the police seemed to take Mark's first statement to the truth without even really investigating. I mean, they were just like, they were told it was a suicide and... Okay, that's that must be what it is. Let's wash our hands and get on with it here. Well, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation ruled this as a suicide and considered it a closed case. 
So the district attorney's office also said there wasn't enough evidence to file any charges or anything like that. And with the medical examiner ruling it as a suicide, that really put a roadblock in things because that's big when it, you you know, want someone to get charged. Well, since then, through social media, DJ's sister Amanda has been casting a wide net trying to get her brother's story out there. And I actually found her through Instagram. And, you know, she's super organized with all of this. And she has a website with everything on it that I've talked about. And you can go for justiceforDJ.com. You can listen to the audio, see the documents, and make your own conclusion. And, you know, I'll share that in the show notes as well. Well, in August of this year, August 2020, this year, some of her hard work paid off. The GBI has officially changed his manner of death from suicide to undetermined. Really? Mm -hmm. And this is big because they can reopen the case. They haven't yet, but... It's, you know, that roadblock is gone, and I really hope this investigation gets, I mean, the investigation it deserves. I guess it's not even really, it hasn't been an investigation at this point. But Amanda says this, all we have asked from the beginning was for them to present this case in front of a grand jury to let them decide if an arrest or indictment should be made or could be made. As we know, there's significant evidence we've been ignored, lied to, and repeatedly blown off. I don't have a sister, but if I had one, I definitely want one like Amanda. For sure. She's so dedicated to this case, and she's not not giving up anytime soon. That's that's for sure. But so along with all the information Amanda sent, um, I did get some info from a Medium article by Julie Fiddler and a Crime Online article by Lee Egan. But yeah, it's it's this case is wild. That is crazy. That's great. Like, can you imagine? I, mean, I can't even process everything that you just told me. I'm like, um, so it it seems very obvious. I mean, I know that there's protocols that they have to follow mm-hmm. as far as investigations and stuff goes, but it just seems like a terrible. Um, and of course, she kind of feels like the case has been blown off because because he's not. Drugs. Yeah, you know it's. Yeah, it definitely seems like it was not handled appropriately at any level. I mean. By anybody. <laughs> for starting from the dispatcher. Exactly. From the very beginning. From the very beginning. And as soon as I heard the, can you take the gun and move it and put it on a table? He should lose his job, first of all, whoever that is. That, I just. That's like. I'll have to, I should have looked that oh up before this. But, I mean, what? Secure the crime scene. Get out. In what world would you think someone did something? I need to if maybe if someone was wielding a gun at someone else, right? No one was or, in danger. Or if you needed to give them also rescue breaths or something, then is, you would have to move the body and do those things. But if you're not, I'm just thinking of this too. He the um, dispatch. He said, is he breathing? And I think, Mark, it was kind of hard to hear him, but I think he, he said, said, yes. He said, I think so. Yeah. Why did the dispatcher not walk him through CPR or exactly. anything? Or like, get a towel, put put it over his... Try to... St- can you stop the blood? Do you see... He, yeah, there's not, nothing. That didn't happen once. He spent like... How... how It felt like forever just saying, okay, the cops are on their way. How old is he? How old is he? How old is he? How old is he? I really hope you can link this because it's... When you guys listen to this, you're just going to... 
pull your car over if you're driving because I mean, you're going to be like, are you kidding me? It's so easy to poke holes and things they do wrong. But at the same time, this one's just like. It's in your face obvious that it's. Yeah. No. I no. mean. And all the long pauses. Is he breathing? Oh, yeah, he might be. Well, Okay. Help Go him check some, and <laughs> help him. Yeah, it's like he doesn't even bother with that. He's just like, get the gun and move the gun. Oh my gosh, I can't. I yeah, can't. I'm, it's I'm stressed out now. I gotta, I gotta make me a drink. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, when I started looking into this, I'm just this. This whole thing needs its own podcast. It really does. It really does. Like an investigation that we and, can't do. Yeah, and she's on. Um, Amanda and some of his other family members are on an investigative discovery show called Still a Mystery that yeah. that covers part of this. I think it covers a couple of cases in the episode, but yeah, huh. it's just, I don't know. This is, it's just really ignored pretty much. I don't Right, know. swept like, under the rug and this yeah. is the case. And, mm-hmm. It's a frustrating yeah. one. It, Yay, it's Georgia. Super- <laughs> It's super, and this town is about, I don't know how far away it is, but it's really close to the Tennessee border under Chattanooga. So it's, it's up there in the Northwest pocket of Georgia. So it's up. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, next we get to dive into my case. It's awful. Is it solved? <laughs> It does get solved (laughs) after several, several years, though, Mm -hmm. of it going cold. So, okay. So, my case is the Jasmine Moore case. Have you heard of it? Mm -mm. I don't think so. So, so Jasmine was born July 9th, 1994 in Alma, Georgia. Do you know where that is? I have no idea. Me either. It's uh it's about 190 miles south of Atlanta. So 190 miles south. Okay. Gotcha. So she was the only child of Brenda Moore and James Nails. She was very active in school. She played the clarinet in the band and was a member of 4H and FCCLA. What is that? We had that. What is that? I was not a member of that. I wasn't either. FCCLA. We had that. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it sounds important. It's a good club. I wasn't in that one. I was not either. So she had perfect attendance in school as well, and she was a good girl. People described her as compassionate and loving. She was very active in her church choir, and she had a boyfriend, 17-year-old Dion Smith. I uh, looked for more info about him. There wasn't any um from what I can gather, they probably met in high school. And I mean, I think that's usually how that goes. Um, so that was her boyfriend. She lived with her mom, Brenda, who worked the night shift as a nurse. She had just recently started letting Jasmine stay by herself. You know, she's she's 15. Mom's yeah. working overnight. and But she was such a good girl that her mom was like, okay, you can start mm-hmm, staying sure. home by yourself while I'm at work. But do not open the door. You can't have company, no parties, no. And she was respectful of her mom and mm-hmm. was like, you know, of course. So on August the 9th of 2009, Brenda left for her night shift around 9.15 p.m. When she arrived home the next morning around 8.30, her house was full of smoke. It, 
was on fire. So she oh. she rushes in. I mean, it wasn't like engulfed. Like she like couldn't. It might have started. There recently. was yeah. Well, there was smoke billowing out of her home. So she you know goes in the front door. She's looking for her daughter. You know, she's yelling her name, and she finds her in the hallway, just outside of her bedroom, and she was dead. Yeah, mm. terrible. I mean, I can't even as a mom. Anyways, the autopsy revealed that she had at least 18 blunt force injuries to her head. Oh, so it wasn't the fire. It wasn't the fire. Got it. Which is what... I was thinking smoke. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm sure is what her mother was thinking that, you know, the fire. So she had 18 blunt force injuries to her head, multiple injuries consistent to being cut with a knife, and multiple smaller injuries sharp injuries including several defensive wounds to her hands and arms mm. the autopsy did show that she was already dead before the fire was set so it's kind of like someone was trying to cover their tracks by bingo burner, burning everything yeah like mm. and she was such a good girl and so loved by everyone like who in the world mm-hmm. would do this they you know nothing was missing from the home there was no it wasn't a robbery there was no sign of forced entry so how you know like how did this happen police investigated several people including her boyfriend and her friends of course everyone denied any involvement her boyfriend even gave the police his cell phone and records revealed that he had been texting her Mm -hmm. throughout the night but that's really not that unusual because they were boyfriend girlfriend so of course they're going to text but there wasn't enough evidence to actually get a search warrant was there anything in there like hey can i come over i'm coming over yes yeah between the two of them but again this is her boyfriend so is it real you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like is that yeah that doesn't mean he did it right and there wasn't enough evidence to get a search warrant any further you know, for him or anyone else. So the came the case seems to, you know, it goes cold. Like there's no leads, there's no evidence because there was a fire set. So that destroyed anything. So, um, yeah, anything that would have been helpful was gone. Yeah. There was no witnesses, no forced entry. Like I said, there's there's nothing. So they're they're literally like their their hands are tied. They that yeah. So fast forward. Five years later, June twenty fourteen. A man by the name of Tiberius, I cannot pronounce his last name, Merchinson, maybe? I really got to study up on my names. So anyways, he walks into the Alma police station and says he and his friend Dion Smith were involved in a brutal murder of Jasmine Moore. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Police contact the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and then he makes this confession to them all over again. He was arrested Right then and there on the spot, and police go to Dion Smith's place and arrest him, too. So, when asked, you know, like, why are you telling us this now? Like, it's been five years. What? And they obviously weren't on to him. No, neither one of them. They had investigated, but there was no, there was no evidence, no, no motive, nothing. So, they ask him, like, what, why are you coming clean about this now? And he had told them he was at a three-day revival where he was baptized as a Christian and he knew deep down that he had to confess and that that was the right thing to do. 
Wow. Yeah. So, so, oh no. Wow. So what happened, right? What, yeah. Why did this? Why? Why? why help? Yeah. Why would you help your friend? Why would your friend who? I'd be, I'd, it, I'd be out. Mm, nope. I mean, I wouldn't. Uh, uh, hmm. So. I mean, they're young. They're dumb. Right. They're 17 year old kids. Mm-hmm. But like. This is your girlfriend who you love yeah, and yeah. Why? I mean, can't you just break up with her? I'm confused. You nope. know what I mean? What would have possibly happened? So not only to make you do this to your girlfriend, but enlist the help of your buddy, a baby. Dion thought oh, that Jasmine okay. was pregnant and he was not. Literally, he was not having it. No. Wow. So he calls his friend. Did, to, her, did her mom know that she might be pregnant at that point? No, nobody so, knew. I don't know okay. or anything that I found, you know, in my gotcha. research that anybody even had any. So he calls his friend Tiberius to come over to his house. And that's when he tells him, look, I think Jasmine's pregnant and I'm going to kill her. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about going to the extremes. I mean. Yeah. So the two, obviously Tiberius is like, okay, and agrees to it. I know, I know. So the two gather a hammer and knife. Oh, I hate when hammers are involved. There's something about that. It's just just the freaking worst. Um, And cloth gloves for each of them, and they take off to Jasmine's house. It's walking distance from where he lives. Really? Yeah. So they're in the same neighborhood. Pretty close. Um, and, and he knew that she would be home alone and he because he knew her mom worked nights, blah, blah, blah. So he had been texting with Jasmine off and on all night and told her that he was going to come over. But when they arrived, the door was locked and they knocked. She didn't answer. So the two leave and walk to the Huddle House, which is kind of like the Waffle House. Mm-hmm. So it's the worst. <laughs> it's really good after a long night of I, dancing and drinking. I love the Waffle House. So it's I'm, the, I'm basically the same. I'm very biased. So they leave. They go there to wait. Um, there's several texts exchanged between Jasmine and Dion there where he tells her, look, we just came mm-hmm. by there and you didn't answer. So we're going to, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. have some smothered and covered and we're going to turn around and we're going to come back. Unlock your door. So... Between 11.27 and 11.45 are these, like, these text messages where she says, okay, the door's open, and he replies, okay, we're on our way back. Um, There are no texts between the two of them from 11.46 to 12.15. At 12.16, he starts texting somebody else, but it's not Jasmine. Okay. It's another friend. He never texts Jasmine again, so... Kind of puts a time frame on when this crime happened. Tiberius says in his confession that when they got back to Jasmine's house, that she and Dion went back to her bedroom. And he kind of is standing in the living room or, you know, sitting in there or whatever, waiting on whatever, maybe thinking he's really not going to do this. You know, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm sure. So after a while, he starts hearing her scream. As Dion is hitting her with the hammer. He heard her screaming, my head is bleeding. My head is bleeding. He starts walking towards the hallway as the screams continue. I I don't, maybe he was going to go try to stop, you know, like what? 
I'm sure he was probably kind of anyways. So she attempts to get away, but Dion catches her in the doorway of her bedroom where she finally falls. Mm -hmm. He then hands the hammer to Tiberius and told him, (sighs) hit her in the head to make sure that she's dead. So he does. I know. I know. (sighs) He then takes the knife and starts stabbing her. So this was around midnight and 15-year-old Jasmine Moore has been beaten and stabbed to death in her own home by her boyfriend. That's a major overkill. I mean, why even stabbing at this point? Right. By her boyfriend and his best friend. I mean, these are people that she trusted. I mean, this just goes to show like you're not just a teenager and you're young and naive, but even grown-ass women this stuff happens to. It's like you cannot trust. Ugh. Anyways. So next, the two pour bleach on her lifeless body in the hall Mm. and dump paper from a trash can on top of her. What? Yes. Dion then goes to the stove in the kitchen and lights a piece of of fire, you know, lights a piece of paper on fire, walks back over and sets this baby on fire. Yeah. I didn't know bleach was an accelerant. I mean, um, it's flammable. Yeah. Do you not ever yeah, do you not use bleach, Lacey, and read it? It says flammable. No. <laughs> oh, Lord. So as they are on their way out, they pull the smoke detectors out of the ceiling. So that wouldn't be going off and maybe alerting. I, I don't know. A witness later testifies that she saw two young men walking between jasmine's house and the huddle house just before midnight that she recognized them she said hello and they seemed you know pretty startled that anybody saw them probably like oh shit there's a witness that saw us um but they said hi and they kept walking so anyways they go back to dion's house they dump the hammer the knife and jasmine's cell phone in a storm drain along the way so they're, they're getting rid of evidence they then shower and burn their clothes in a barrel outside Dion's house to just destroy any other evidence. Like I said, they were both suspects, but there wasn't enough evidence or anything that really tied them to the murder until Tiberius comes in and confesses. And that his confession is the only way that Dion was even implicated in this. Wow. He tells them, right. And how many years, sorry, how many years was this later? Five. Five. Jeez. Yeah. So if he would have never... I wonder if they probably weren't still friends at that point. I'm just assuming since it... I mean, it's a small town. They probably were. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If they were still living there. Yeah. Yeah, That's true. So Tiberius tells them, you know, like, this is where we dump the murder weapons. This is where you can find everything in this storm drain. And the cops go five years later, and it's still there. Are you serious? It's still there. I mean, so, I, I guess I can I can see the hammer staying. And the knife. But maybe herself. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure they burnt the gloves and all that, but everything could you, else. Could they get anything off of I it after all that time? I mean, hmm. it's a storm drain. Probably everything's yeah. been washed away. But, I mean, he admits to, like, this is, yeah, this I mean, is he where can we put it. This is the evidence. Sure. Yeah. This is it's the weapons we use. Corroborates the story. So, you know. Obviously, they're arrested, blah, blah, blah. Trial takes place where the autopsy report is read and stated that, in fact, Jasmine was not 
pregnant. Wow. So they murdered this young lady for no reason. None. Text messages were also used in the trial as evidence where it showed between the two of them saying, I'm coming back, I'm coming over, he's with me, blah, 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 let us in. Yeah. But without Tiberius's confession and tying Dion to this, they would have had, no, you know, nothing to go on. So Tiberius, he pled guilty to aggravated assault and arson in the first degree. He received 30 years in prison, and he also testified for the prosecution in Dion's case. Wow. Yeah. um, Dion Smith was convicted of malice murder, felony murder, and arson in the first degree. By the time he went to trial, it was seven years after her murder. Wow. He, by that time, he was probably thinking... He got away with it, sure. So malice murder is done specifically with the intent to murder, basically premeditated. Felony murder means it happened during the course of another felony. So say if you are robbing a bank and you shoot somebody during that robbery and they die, that's felony murder. Okay. Because you're already committing a felony mm-hmm. and then it happens during the felony. So that's felony murder. So that's what little little lesson there for that. you. So Dion was sentenced to life in prison and then an additional 15 years for arson to be served consecutively. They are both still behind bars. Wow. Yes. I used uh, Case Law, Fine Law, Lila's News, and WJHnews.com.com.com. Has... He spoken about it at all, Dion? Like, I didn't find anything. Um, so she's fifteen. I, I'm just running through my head of what I think. She probably didn't take a pregnancy test. She probably, you know, she probably like just felt like she was, or she may have been. They may have been having problems, and she was like, "Oh well, I'm pregnant." Yeah, you know, I mean, she's fifteen. This is her boyfriend. He's seventeen. Maybe there was something like that where yeah. she was just like, "Oh, I think I'm pregnant." You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, but it's just like his first thought is killer. She's pregnant. Let's, I mean, let's beat her and right set her on away. Fire. I mean, yeah, just. It's- I, I, it's hard for me. I don't even understand that thought process. Lord. It's a terrible, like, terrible hello, case. You yeah. Can, uh, I mean, anything would have been better. I mean, never speak to her again or whatever. Anything would have been better than what he did. I mean, this was a month and a day after her 15th birthday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, oh my. I mean, she was just barely 15. Like. Do you know if he was still in high school at this time? You said he couldn't find much about him. But. No. I'm assuming they're 17-year-old boys that they're probably still in high school. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there wasn't a whole lot on them. And wow. you know what? I don't... I find the more research and things that I do and investigate these cases and stuff when we do our stories, it's like when I... Like, I don't... I read about these people that commit these murders and all this and I'm like... I don't want to give you any, any yeah. of the spotlight. Like, let's oh, talk yeah, about how, sure. yeah. So, yeah, it's a messed up case. Like, that is horrible. I mean, they're all horrible. And I know we say this after every day. I know, like, we this do. This is the this worst. Is they are, they are all 
horrible in their own right, for sure. Absolutely. Like every... But it's like just when you think that like, oh, that's terrible. Then you read something else. You're like, oh, my God. That's like that's terrible. such a overkill. And, and so it's just freaky knowing teenage boys are capable. I mean, I know there's all kinds Who would of crimes even, when younger I people I could not are, have even but... imagined that at 17 or 15. Being a 15-year-old girl and your boyfriend, like, of course you would let him in. Oh, and his buddies with him? I did that before. You know, yeah, like, yeah, sure. Y'all come over. My mom's not home. Not thinking that they're going to beat no. me to death with a hammer and then set oh, my house goodness. on fire, set my body on fire. <sighs> yeah, disgusting. Anyways, yeah, that's my terrible case that from is... from the peach state. It's not a peach of a story. This is not God. a peach of a story whatsoever. Oh my. Mm-mm. Well, I'm glad um, you went to that revival. I guess. Same. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That goes to show you that it doesn't necessarily take evidence no. in anything. It can just be an accomplice right. starting to finally feel guilt. And I'm I'm assuming he made his he made Tiberius hit her over that he wanted him to be complicit in the crime too, you know. Of course. Of course. So he's probably this whole time thinking he did it too. Why would yeah, he, while ever he ever tell you on can't me? tell on me because mm. you're just as guilty. Yeah. Well mm. he got that wrong. I wonder if he did anything else in that, those seven years. I, it seems like this is one that was a, what is it? It's not necessarily a crime of passion, but it's just kind of. Could, uh, yeah, I don't know what the word is. It, it's premeditated in that they talked about it before, but. It's like a, a circumstance, like the. Like it was an impulse life, thing. Like, yes. Um, situation. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, it was awful. So bad for mom. Mm. And all the ways they did it. Just. No, it's terrible. It's terrible. These guys and are dirtbags. And they walking down the street thinking. And this poor baby, like, she is, you know, she's got her whole life ahead of her she's so smart and pretty and popular and like not that it would be any sadder if she wasn't but you know what i mean like everything in the world going for and you just trusted the wrong person anyways where are we next week this has been a bummed week anyways this election (laughs) stressed us out as we're recording we we don't know the don't we don't know well Next week we will. We'll hopefully. know hopefully by the hopefully. Listen, I don't know. I'm, I'm not jinxing myself. I'm not going to jinx myself. But we're in Ohio, I believe. Ohio. Yep. What is that? Let me see. Oh, I'm going to guess. Guess well, what's Ohio? I would guess the Buckeye State, but that might just be a sports thing. No, I think you may be correct. Hang on, I accidentally typed a P. I think a Buckeye is something from a tree or something. But I always think of the little peanut butter balls. You know what I'm talking about? The, they're peanut butter balls dipped in chocolate and they look Ooh, like a Buckeye. Oh, those are so good. Yes. It's the, well, this is Buckeye oh. Pride Worldwide. Wait, what? Buckeye Pride. It says Buckeye Pride Worldwide. Here are a few facts. I've been to um, Sandusky, Ohio. You know, the only <laughs> way I even know that is from Tommy Boy. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, so. You've never no, seen Tommy Boy? I haven't. I know, I know, I know. Ohio is the Buckeye State. Yes. I feel like I need to keep a tally. On you do, you I do. Right. I don't ever guess because I'm. Um, yeah, we drove there to go to Cedar Point, that amusement park with all the just 
crazy roller coasters. Yeah, all those. Ro- yeah. It was was it everything you dreamed it, it would be? It was amazing. It was so much fun. I mean, the scariest rides I've ever been on, but it overlooked Lake Erie, and it was in the middle of summer, and it was chilly. And the water was freezing. Well, it's Ohio. I know. I just. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. um, Be sure to subscribe on Apple. Leave us a review. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at US of M Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at United States of Murder. And tune in next week. Yeah. We're going to talk about a fun giveaway next week. Yeah, we definitely are. So. We couldn't this week. We're stressed out. (laughs) There's too much. There's There's too too much much going going on on right now. Yes. Agreed. Bye. Bye.